Would you join me in a word of prayer? Oh Lord, we so look forward to that day when we can sing and shout in victory, Lord, because we would be with you in heaven, Lord. We thank you so much for this time that we get to spend in your word, and we look forward, Lord, and we're ready to receive what you have for us in this chapter, Lord, chapter 40 of the book Ezekiel. So, Lord, draw us in, draw us near, keep us close. And we thank you again for this time together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good evening. So glad you're here. You can be seated. Those of you online, we're so glad that you're joining with us as well. Uh, I hope you don't mind, but we're just going to get right to it. Uh, oh, I like that. So, uh, you know, last week, of course, we finished uh, chapter 39, which uh, I know deeply profound, comes after Ezekiel 38. As we make our way through this book of Ezekiel, now we're on the home stretch, chapters 40 through 48. We turn a pretty sharp corner and we go from this yet future prophesied invasion uh, by this alliance of nations uh, of Israel, Ezekiel 38 and 39. And then subsequent to that, we go right into the millennium, which is uh, after the tribulation, which is what I want to really emphasize tonight, because from chapter 40 through to the rest of the book, chapter 48, it's prophetic about the temple in the kingdom age. Specifically, a description of the temple, then the worship in the temple, then lastly, toward the end of the book, that which surrounds the temple. Now, this is during the 1,000 year millennial reign, where we rule and reign with Christ. But as we're about to see, Ezekiel in great detail, I mean great detail, (laughs) is given a vision of this temple during the millennium, which is after the seven year tribulation, which is after the rapture, which has to happen before the seven-year tribulation. Real quick. The next event prophetically is the rapture of the church, which could be any time now. Okay, never mind. Um, Then after the rapture, now we're not certain, nor do we need to be, but there is a potential for, I can't see it being too much time, but there could be some time between the rapture and the commencement of the seven-year tribulation, because the rapture does not start the seven-year tribulation. What starts the seven-year tribulation is the fulfillment of Daniel 9.27, when this confirmed peace agreement with many is enforced, or in the Hebrew or the Arabic, it's uh, it's made stronger, greater, superior, spectacular. That's when the seven year tribulation starts, not the rapture. So there could be a little bit of a, I hate to use the word gap because it brings up uh, certain connotations and associations, but the rapture happens. And then after the rapture, is the seven-year tribulation. Then after the seven-year tribulation is the second coming. And then after the second coming is the 1,000-year reign, the millennium. Then after the millennium is the new heavens and the new earth. So you, you see the chronology there, all in order. Now what I want to emphasize tonight are two words after and tribulation. I like the word after in the context of tribulation. Are you with me? In other words, when Ezekiel receives this vision, this prophecy, he's actually, talk about time travel, which is actually a thing. 
Tesla, Trump, et al. are all very interested in this thing called time travel. Uh, all they really need to do is go to Ezekiel, who really experienced time travel and was transported from Tel Aviv there in Babylon to Jerusalem in the millennium to see the temple that is going to be there and declare this temple to the Israelites that were captive there in Babylon. Why? To give them hope after they want the after before. Let me explain this because we're going to need this in a moment. <laughs> the after before. I, I, I want to know what's after the tribulation I'm in before, because that's what's going to get me through the tribulation that I'm in, is knowing what happens after the tribulation that I'm in. Can you imagine the Jews that would have heard this prophecy that was given to Ezekiel and declared by Ezekiel to them as they're there being captive in Babylon. And here's Ezekiel saying, oh, you guys, do you know what's going to happen in the millennium, the temple? And here's all the detail it would have lifted them up. Why? Because there's an after to tribulation. There's an after. So after the seven year tribulation, you know, one more thing, and then we'll, we'll try to um, actually start the chapter. Um, I want you to think about this because I'm just as guilty of this as anyone. I'm so excited about the rapture. Forget about the tribulation. That's their problem. Yeah, that's bad. No, but, but right? Come on. Let's be honest, right? It is a Sia wouldn't want to be a, which I know is not God's heart, thankfully, right? Because during the seven year tribulation, which actually so too with the millennium, the tribulation is really for Israel. So too is the millennium, believe it or not. Because even this great detail that we're going to see about the temple during the millennium, which is not the temple during the tribulation, by the way. Um, th this is mainly, chiefly, supremely for Israel, not us. Because see, we're ruling and reigning with Christ. So what I'm guilty of, and I know if you're anything like me, you're also guilty of, which brings me great comfort to know that I'm not alone. Um, we, we just think about the rapture and eternity future, but we kind of forget about a thousand years, a thousand years. And I mean, it's not going to be like, oh man, we got another thousand years before heaven? Really? No, it's going to be like, wait a minute. For a thousand years we're ruling and reigning with Christ on earth, get this, as it was before sin entered the world. I'm going to really max out your bandwidth on this one. You ready? Wait for it. There are going to be people that are going to somehow survive the seven-year tribulation. And then after the seven-year tribulation, they're going to enter the millennium with bodies like that which Adam and Eve had. How else are they going to live for a thousand years? And they're going to have children during the millennium. How are we doing? We okay? Can I go a little bit further? Max your bandwidth out a little bit more. So their children are going to have children. Their children are going to have children. There's going to be a lot of people. I mean, do the math, a thousand years. These people will have bodies like Adam and Eve, and they will be able to have babies. And those babies will be like 300 years old before they get married. 
<laughs> almost like now, except we don't live that long. But they're going to live that long because their bodies are going to be these millennial bodies as Adam and Eve had. Now, one has stated, and I think it's it's a fair way to say it and, and see it, but it's an enforced righteousness. Now, who's enforcing the righteousness? <laughs> we are. Who's we? Us as his bride by his sight during the millennium. Because see, we have our glorified bodies. They don't. <laughs> That's bad too, I know. But we're going to have a, they're not going to have their glorified bodies. In fact, they are going to, for 1,000 years, live on earth. The topography of earth is going to be completely different. It's going to be amazing, I think. And as for those like myself who asked to be given the region known today as the Hawaiian Islands, oh, you did too, didn't you? I don't know if that's going to work, because we don't know what that's going to look like geographically. And so this is going to be the earth in its pre-fallen state for a period of 1,000 years. And I promise you on the authority of God's Word, you're not going to be bored. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fly by. It's going to be like, okay, 1,000 years is up. Then there's a final rebellion and battle, which is really no battle at all. And God just kind of takes care of it. Because you have to understand, it's appointed on the man who wants to die, and then the judgment. So then they're going to be given a choice, because we're all given free will. And this is really hard to wrap your mind around. And this truly stretches your bandwidth past its max. But at the end of 1,000 years, having witnessed this righteous rule and reign, there will be those who will reject Jesus Christ at the end of the 1,000 years. I mean, that did I, did I just ruin it? Did I take it too far with that one? That's what it's going to be like. Then after the millennium is the new heaven and the new earth and eternity future. So what's my point? And I do have a point. This is the after. And it's here in our Bibles for a reason. But here's what's sad. Chapters like this and chapters that follow this are dismissed. Why? Because <laughs> they're tedious, they're monotonous. I mean, we're going to go through the measurements, and there's 49 verses of it, and then, spoiler alert, it abruptly ends, TBD, to be continued. No, wait, to be determined, to be, never mind long week. You get the point. So then we, we slide right into chapter 41, Lord willing, next week, and 42. There's more detail. Well, wait a minute. Why, why do we need to read every single detail? Because it's in God's Word. And all scriptures God breathed. So there's a reason that we have this mundane detail about the temple during the millennium here in the Word of God. And I want to pray and ask God to bless our Bible study tonight so that we leave here knowing the reason why we have a chapter like this in our Bibles. So would you join me? Father in heaven, thank you. Lord, we love you. We love your Word. Your Word is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet that lights the way, shows us the way. It's the bread of life. We don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. And this is in your Word. And there's a reason why we have this detail here in your Word. So Lord, would you, as only you can, by the Holy Spirit, 
minister to us what this has for us tonight? What would you have for us to take with us tonight? What's the takeaway for us? How does this apply to us? So Lord, would you do that for us? We're asking you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's jump in. You ready? Buckle up. <laughs> in the 25th year of our captivity, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was captured, on the very same day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and He took me there. We're off to a great start. You know what this is, right? It's a prophetic time stamp. What do you mean? Well, if my math is right, the last time Ezekiel had a prophecy update was 12 years prior to this. That's a long time. So again, why do we need to know down to the day? It was the 10th day of the month, the beginning of the year, the 25th year, the 14th year after the city, Jerusalem, Judah, was captured. On the very same day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and He time-traveled me. I'm still trying to get unalived out of my mind after I heard that. It's like, He, he took me, and we, I time-traveled to the millennium. And verse 2, in the visions of God, He took me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain. On it toward the south was something like the structure of a city. He took me there. I kind of like that. Lord, take me there. I want to go. Take me. And behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze. He had a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand, and he stood in the gateway. And the man said to me, verse 4, Son of man, listen very carefully to this, look with your eyes, and hear with your ears, and fix your mind on everything I show you. For you were brought here so that I might show them to you. Stop right there. We'll finish verse 4 in just a moment. You know what God's saying to Ezekiel through this angel? He's saying, focus, concentrate. Don't just, you know, because we're going to get into a lot of detail, but you need to know this detail. Fix your mind on this detail, on every detail, on everything. I want you to see it with your eyes. I want you to hear it with your ears, and I want you to just cement it in your mind, because I'm going to show you some stuff. And I'm not just showing you just to show you. I'm showing you, and that's why you were brought here, Ezekiel. And this is why you time traveled here, Ezekiel, so that I could show you. You concentrate now on every detail because you're going to, here's the rest of the verse, listen, declare to the house of Israel everything you see. Translated, take notes. Actually, get your phone out and record the thing, <laughs> because you're going to now declare what I'm about to speak to you and show to you to Israel for a reason. Verse 5. Now, there was a wall all around the outside of the temple. In the man's hand was a measuring rod, six cubits long, each being a cubit and a hand breadth. I don't want to get into the uh, measurements and the equivalents and the uh, conversions. It's immaterial. There is certainly symbolic meaning behind it. And, but the danger can be, and many do err greatly when they 
attempt to spiritualize this. No, this is, this is not a spiritual temple. Why would God take Ezekiel into time travel, into the millennium, into Israel to show him a spiritualized temple? That is a work. No, he's seeing a temple that will be erected and built. We're not told who builds it. I have a pretty good idea who does it. And it will stand there in the millennium for 1,000 years. And Ezekiel is now being told what this temple is going to be, how, it, it, how big it's going to be. And oh, by the way, those who are into this kind of thing, i.e. architects, builders, developers, you know, actually, let me bring it a little bit closer to home for all of us. Wouldn't you pay a little bit more attention if you were able to see the mansion that you're going to have that's being built for you? Wouldn't you want to know how what the measurements are, how many square feet there are, how many rooms there are. <laughs> Wouldn't you be very interested if this were your dream home? Come on. I'm all ears. <laughs> really, because I've shared with you, I might as well, this is as good of a time as any. But just by way of a confession, uh, when I would, which I haven't done for a while, for obvious reasons, but when I would walk with my daughter to the beach, I would always walk, flags, Kailua, I would always walk by this mansion that they were building. It took them like, I don't know, three years. I don't know what the measurements were, but I, they might have got it out of Ezekiel 40, but this thing is huge. I mean, the, the guest houses are, are, in fact, I think the bathrooms are bigger than my house. I mean, this thing is just massive, and it was really well designed. I mean, the architectural design of it, and right there on the beach. And here's my confession. I coveted a little bit. <laughs> and I'm walking by this thing going, oh, wow, this would be great. You know, and then when you, when you see a place like this, and then you go back to your box of a house with the termites and the cockroaches, you think, I don't want to live here anymore. I want to live there. Well, you're going to, but it's actually going to even be better than that. In fact, the place that is being prepared for you is going to make that look like, I'm sorry, a toilet at best. In comparison, in fact, there's no comparison. It would be criminal to try to compare the glory that awaits with that which is here, because no eye has seen, no ear has heard. So I, I only mention this because we, like Ezekiel, really should focus and concentrate on this. Because this is very real, and this is a place that is going to be built, a temple that is going to be built, a literal temple. This is not spiritual. This is not metaphorical. And we have the measurements. And uh, those, again, that are into this have taken these measurements down to the gnat's eyebrow. And yes, gnats have eyebrows. And they have concluded that this would be a magnificent building based on Ezekiel's measurements here in chapter 40 and beyond. So did that help a little bit? I hope so. Okay, so now we get into all the details. He measured the width of the wall structure, one rod, the height, one rod. Then verse 6, he went to the gateway, which faced east, and he went, listen, up its stairs. Stop. We're going to see this again. Whenever you read about Jerusalem in the scriptures, it's always you go up to Jerusalem or down from Jerusalem. In other words, Jerusalem's up. The stairs, you would walk up 
to the temple. Now, why is that important? Because, think about it, when you worship God, you're elevated, you're lifted up. And this is what the temple was. And the Jews there in Babylon would have taken great interest in this, because the temple represented for them the presence of God. Now we're going to see some conspicuous, the conspicuous absence of many articles. That's next week. But uh, this is what that would have represented for them. And if you think about it, they're sitting there in Babylon, captive in Babylon. They're going to die there. They'll never see Jerusalem again. And God in His grace and love through the prophet Ezekiel says, I know you're not going to see Jerusalem again, so I want you to see through Ezekiel's eyes what I showed him, the new temple in Jerusalem in the millennium to give you hope. You're not going to see it in this life, but you can see it during the millennium and even eternity future, not the temple. But you will see the new Jerusalem too. Imagine again the hope that that would have given them, how much that would have lifted them up. Let me switch it around conversely, because it works both ways. God made us in His image. We worship God, and we are lifted up. But when God, when man worships his own God made in his own image, it takes man down. Because you've made God with ears that don't hear, eyes that don't see, and a mouth that doesn't speak. And you've brought your God down, my God is up. I go up. Up it stairs. You go down. Because you've made your God in your own image. Well, God made me in His image. So I go up. And measured the threshold of the gateway, which was one rod wide, and the other threshold was one rod wide. Each gate, verse 7, chamber was one rod long and one rod wide between the gate chambers. I'm sorry, I'm chuckling. I'm just picture, picturing Ezekiel going, okay, wait, slow down. You know, slow down. He's got his scroll, his parchment. He's like, wait, 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 wait. You said one rod? Wait, you told me to pay attention and concentrate. Why are you going so fast? Slow down. Was that five cubits? You said six last time. No, five. And the threshold of the gateway by the vestibule. Oh, there's a vestibule, yeah. Of the inside gate was one rod. He also measured the vestibule of the inside gate, one rod. Then, verse 90, measured the vestibule of the gateway, eight cubits, and the gate posts, two cubits. The vestibule of the gate was on the inside. In the eastern gateway, verse 10, were three gate chambers on one side and three on the other. The three were all the same size. That helps. I can just, you know, copy paste. Also the gate posts were of the same size on this side and that side. He measured the width, verse 11, of the entrance of the gateway, 10 cubits, and the length of the gate, 13 cubits. There was a space in front of the gate chambers, one cubit on this side and one cubit on that side. The gate chambers were six cubits on this side and six cubits on that side. How you doing? Are we okay? We got more. <laughs> more to come. Uh, yeah, this is probably as good of a time as any, I guess, as well. But um, this uh, temple with all of these detailed measurements that are described for us here, all had a purpose. And they would be utilized during the millennium. And you, you enter into, we, we, we even have the, the, the sides, the entrance, the width of the entrance, the measurements, and it's all proportionate, and it's all in order. 
And might I add, it's all perfect, because God is perfect. It's perfect. The size is perfect. The placement is perfect. The measurements are perfect. The construction is perfect. Why? Because God is perfect. And this is a representation of the presence of God. He's a God of order. He's a God of order. Next week, Lord willing, verse uh, chapter 41 and 42, we're going to talk about the details and how they matter to God and how all of those seemingly small, insignificant, inconsequential details in my life matter to God too. I mean, oh yeah, but that's really small. I mean, God's got bigger things to deal with, right? He's got a, you know, whole universe and the whole of the universes to, to run. He's not concerned about me finding a parking spot at Costco Evilay. That's a small thing. No, he's actually you should pray, because never mind. I, how do you know? I mean, and then you never, this is no extra charge, little side note, when you pull into that parking lot, you're praying, God, please don't make me have to park Waianae to go to this, you know, Costco. You pull in and you're thinking, because this is how we think, no way is there going to be a parking spot up front. So you know what I do? I know God's busy. But Lord, it would really mean a lot if you would just find me a parking spot right up front. And I was like, cool, let's do this. So I drive up front. Nobody's, in fact, I've actually, as God is my witness, witnessed cars not even looking and drive right past a parking spot right up front. I think God diverted them, blinded them so that I could park there. So I put my signal on. Of course, I'm looking for somebody trying to steal it. You know how they do that? And then when they have a Christian, you know, something on the back of their car, don't get me started on that. This is why I don't put anything like that on my car, because, <laughs> you know, anyway, better be careful here. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I, I am. But um, it's, it's the small things. And again, we're, we'll talk about this more, Lord willing, next week. But all of the details, it speaks to, and this is a takeaway too, it speaks to how God is concerned and cares about all of the details. Every little detail that seemingly is insignificant in my life, He cares about it. And so here's all the detail. And now continuing verse 13, then he measured the gateway from the roof of one gate chamber to the roof of the other. The width was 25 cubits, a cubit again, 18 inches. Then the hand breadth, another four inches, total of 22. You can do the math. As door faces door, he measured the gate post 60 cubits high and the cord all around the gateway extended to the gate post. From the front of the entrance gate to the front of the vestibule of the inner gate was 50 cubits. Verse 16, they, this, this is an interesting detail. Um, this sounds very nice, by the way. There were beveled window frames. Talk about detail. Now, wait a minute. Why do I need to know this? In the construction of the tabernacle, Moses was commanded to observe every single detail down to the color of the thread. Why? Because it pictured and pointed to the person of Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross of Jesus Christ. You had the outer courts, the holy place, and the holy of holies, the most holy place. And the seven articles, seven the number of completion. And you look at the layout of the tabernacle and subsequently the temple, what do you got? The shape of a cross, the outer courts, the table of showbread, the lampstand. And then you enter the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, that seventh furnishing. And there was, and if you look at it, bird's eye view, a cross. Three, the Trinity. 
And even the color of the thread was the color of the body of Christ. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. This was a picture prophetically of Jesus the Christ. So when we talk about the detail of beveled window frames, first of all, I'm so glad. Windows, by the way, and anyone who's built a house will tell you this, the placement of the windows is huge. In fact, well, never mind. I, I actually have a prayer window that I want, because I, I have to move when I sit. I don't pray as much or as long. Not that prayers have to be long. We talked about that at our prayer meeting Tuesday night. It's not the length of the prayer. It's the strength of the prayer. That does not apply to sermons. Just so we're clear. But I just have a window that I'll stand in front of, walk back and forth in front of, and I just pray. I just look out that window and I just talk to God like I'm talking to you. And I just, and so it, it's very special to me because windows bring light in to the place. And that's why these windows are there in the gate chambers and in their intervening archways. Cool archways. How many of you live in a house that has an archway? Don't raise your hand. Because we'll, we'll be covetous of you if you do. <laughs> archways on the inside of the gateway all around. And likewise in the vestibules. Some of you have a great God-given gift of imagination. You can actually imagine this, and I can't. I, I don't know why. I guess on the day that gift was being given, I just wasn't there that day. But some people can, can, can take this. Oh, by the way, you can go, I'll be careful. You can go online and you can find renderings based on Ezekiel chapter 40's measurements of what this temple and all of the walls and windows and archways and everything would have looked like. Now there is some discrepancy. I, that's why I didn't do that. Could you imagine if I had given you all a handout of the, you know, the drawings of this? First of all, I'd lose half of you. You'd be staring at this thing all night going, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to use this for the, you don't have time, but if you wanted to build a house, you might want to consider using some of these ideas. But you can go online. For those of you that are, you know, into that, and you know who you are, um, we won't look down on you or judge you. But you just really are, you get excited with this stuff. That's weird to me because, I mean, but you can actually see what this would have looked like. It's fascinating. So there were windows all around on the inside, and on each gate post were, this is so cool, palm trees. Can you just let me have this real quick? We're okay on time. Don't look at your watches. So I've shared this before. I, I never saw a palm tree growing up. The first time I saw a palm tree was when my wife and I got married 35 years ago. And we went to California. Now, pine trees, where I come from, the Pacific Northwest, no problem. Palm trees, problem. True story. I know this might seem strange, but we're in La Jolla, California, where my mother-in-law lived at the time. And we're walking. We had just flown in. We're walking on the sidewalk. Uh, and we're going to check into our hotel. Um, and. I, I see this tree and I'm going, what kind of tree is this? And my wife with pity and, <laughs> you know, as only a wife can have, just looked at me like you pathetic. I married you. You don't know that this is a palm tree. Now here's another confession while I'm at it. I'm on a roll, so I might as well. I've got nothing to lose. 
I hugged it. Okay, I'm a tree hugger. I literally hugged it, took a picture. This is before phones, you know. This is when cameras were cameras. You pulled the camera out, and then you had film to get developed. But anyway, I, I took a picture. This was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. I never see. Then we go to Israel some years later, and you want to talk about palm trees. Oh man, I'm like, I don't want to go back. I want to stay here. Those, those date palms, wow, beautiful. Then my wife, of course, being from here, Kailua girl, born and raised, so we would come back here because her family was here. And I mean, I'm like, here am I, Lord, send me. And he did. <laughs> of course, it would take about 20 years later, but he did. I love palm trees. Why am I going off on palm trees? Because there is a symbolism concerning palm trees. Can I just say, land flowing with milk and honey, the prosperity, the beauty, of a palm tree. Did you know, and this is uh, one last thing, uh, real quick, hope you don't mind, but you know when there's a hurricane, you see those palm trees, and you think, man, th that palm tree ain't going to make it. I mean, it's like this. It's bent over 150,000 miles per hour winds. That thing is, but it won't break. Why? Because the root system is so strong and so deep. And that's a picture of our life in Christ, when we're strong spiritually beneath the surface. You don't see it outwardly, but beneath the surface, that root system is so deep and so strong. When the storms of life hit, <laughs> no problem. I might bow down, which by the way is a good posture to take when you're in a storm. You're about, oh God, you know, that's a very good posture, rightfully so. Okay, that's my palm tree. I, I think I'm out of them. You'll be encouraged now. Uh, verse 17, then he brought me into the outer court, and there were chambers and a pavement. Don't think asphalt, please. I'm sorry about that word. New King James, pavement made all around the court. 30 chambers, 30 chambers face the pavement. The pavement was by the side of the gateways, corresponding to the length of the gateways. This was the lower pavement. But wait, there's, there's more than a lower pavement? Then he measured, verse 19, the width from the front of the lower gateway to the front of the inner court exterior, 100 cubits toward the east and the north. On the outer court, verse 20, was also a gateway facing north, and he measured its length and its width. Its gate chambers, verse 21, three on this side, three on that side. Its balance, it's proportionate, and its archways have the same measurements as the first gate. Its length was 50 cubits and its width 25 cubits. Its windows and those of its archways and also its palm trees. Ah. <laughs> You said you were going to let me have it. More palm trees. Have the same measurements as the gateway facing east. It was, and here it is again, ascended, ascended by seven steps. Seven, the number of completion. So picture this. This is a literal temple in the millennium, and you're going to ascend, go up, be lifted up seven steps. For those of you that went to Israel with us, the southern steps measured, believed to be by many the actual steps that Jesus would have walked on to enter into the temple. So you walk up. You're ascending up. You know the Psalms of Ascents, when we were going through the Psalms, they would sing those songs as they would ascend those steps. That's why they're called songs, psalms of ascent. You're ascending, not descending. You're ascending. 
and its archway was in front of it. A gate, verse 23, of the inner court was opposite the northern gateway, just as the eastern gateway. And he measured from the gateway to gateway 100 cubits. After that, he brought me toward the south, and there a gateway was facing south, and he measured its gate posts and archways according to these same measurements. Again, I'm just picturing Ezekiel, because this really happened. He really time traveled into the millennium, and he's getting a tour by this angel of this temple with all of its measurements. So when we go on a tour in Israel, it's very fast moving, right? Because it has to be, because there's another 18 groups behind us that are also touring at the same time we are. Didn't they know we were going to be there? We wanted the country to ourselves. Don't rush me. Sorry. Especially in Jerusalem, you know, we're talking about measurements. I mean, you know, you're walking in the old city. <laughs> I said I wasn't one more. Nah. Do I have time? Nah, why not? So one year, my wife and I are in Israel. I want to say it was 1994, and we're in the old city in the Arab quarter. You know, they have the Jewish quarter, the you know Ar Armenian quarter, the uh, Christian quarter, the uh, Arab. These were my people. <laughs> and my wife and some dear friends of ours uh, happened upon these actually pretty nice camel leather sandals, women's sandals. My wife says, I, I, I want a pair of these. I was like, OK, fine. So now you have to understand, in the Middle Eastern culture, as an Arab, you, if you don't negotiate, you stupid American tourist. They lose all respect for you. No, for real. They do. So and I know this, because they're my people. So I thought, OK, game on. Let's do this. So 50, 50. This is criminal. And we're yelling in Arabic at each other. He's yelling at me. I'm yelling at him. My wife and our friend, she wanted a pair too. They're like, no, it's OK. We don't want them that bad. So this went on and on. And we're in all of a sudden now, all of the family is gathering around because they own the shop next to it. And they're like watching this spectacle. And here I am. You know, the Arabic language is like that anyway. Unlike French, as we've talked about, French is so smooth. Voulez-vous avoir? Not Arabic. Marhaba. I just said, welcome. That's the, how harsh it is. So here I am screaming at this guy in Arabic. He's screaming at me. And we're both enjoying it quite a bit. So we finally get down to the bottom line. I said, I will not pay you, this is in Arabic, I will not pay you more than $25 for one pair, not 50. He looks at me, and then he looks at my wife. Now, you have to understand the Arab culture. This is unthinkable for an Arab man to look at another Arab man's wife, especially if she's American. He looks at my wife, and he says in English, with a very thick Arabic accident, Accident, too. Yeah, accent. <laughs> Your husband is a hard man. If I were married to him, I would kill myself. I would slit my throat from one side to the other. I'm like, you know what? Just take him back and forget it, man. You just insulted me and my wife. So then he, throw, he takes the money out of my hand. He throws the sandals at me. And we had to make an escape out of that place. But the problem, I was actually going somewhere where there was a very narrow passageway. And you know how it is in the old city. You don't make a fast escape. You might make an escape. But anyway, we made it, obviously, because I'm here, but barely. But anyway, I don't know why we got there, but. We did. I'm trying to justify it here, but I can't off the top of my head. I think it was verse 26's fault. But 
So verse 27, there was also a gateway on the inner court facing south, and he measured from gateway to gateway toward the south 100 cubits. Then he brought, we've got to keep moving now, to the inner court through the southern gateway. He measured the southern gateway according to these same measurements. Also its gate chambers, its gate posts, and its archways were according to these same measurements. There were windows in it and in its archways all around. Wow, that seems beautiful. It was 50 cubits long and 25 cubits wide. Verse 30, there were archways all around, 25 cubits long and 5 cubits wide. Its archways faced the outer court. There's my palm trees again. We're on its gate posts, and here it is again. Going up to it were eight steps. Aha! Seven, the number of completion. Eight, the number of new beginnings. The God we serve is the God of new beginnings. The eighth day starts the new week. The eighth note on the musical scale starts anew. The eighth is the new beginnings, and you go up these eight steps. And he brought me into the inner court facing east. He measured the gateway according to these same measurements. Also, it, by the way, how many times, if you want, you can count this. We're going to see it again and again. Same measurements. What's your point, Pastor? God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The same measurements. And its archways were according to these same measurements. And there were windows in it, and its archways all around. It was 50 cubits long and 25 cubits wide. That's big. Its archways faced the outer court, and here's my palm trees again, were on its gate posts on this side and on that side. And going up to it were eight steps. Then he brought me to the north gateway and measured it according to these same measurements. Also its gate chambers, its gate posts, and its archways. It had windows all around. Its length was 50 cubits, and width, its width 25 cubits. Its gate posts faced the outer court. Palm trees were on its gate posts, and this side, and on that side. And going up to it were eight steps. There was a chamber, verse 38, and its entrance by the gate posts of the gateway where they washed the burnt offering. Hang on. In the vestibule of the gateway were two tables on this side and two tables on that side on which to slay the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. Wait, I thought we were in the millennium. We are. <laughs> Why, pray tell, would there be sacrifices and offerings in the temple in the millennium? I'm glad you asked. You asked, right? Yeah. Answer, at the risk of an oversimplification, think two words, commemoration and celebration. Uh, think communion. Why do we partake of communion? To commemorate and celebrate the finished work on the cross, where the body of Jesus was broken and the blood of Jesus was shed. So why are there offerings in, and it's going to get a little bit more graphic here in a moment, but why is this in the millennial temple? Because it's done in remembrance of what was done for them. Because if you think about it, they took it for granted. See, the Old Testament sacrifices only covered sin. They did not remove sin. Now sin has been removed by the sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So now these sacrifices, these offerings, are a reminder that Jesus was the sacrifice. 
at the outer side of the vestibule, verse 40, as one goes up to the entrance of the north, northern gateway, were two tables. And on the other side of the vestibule of the gateway were two tables. Four tables were on this side, four tables on that side, by the side of the gateway, eight tables on which, and here's the graphic part, they slaughtered the sacrifices. Really? In the millennium? Yeah. There were also four tables of hewn stone for the burnt offering, one cubit and a half long, one cubit and a half wide, and one cubit high. On these they laid the instruments with which they slaughtered the burnt offering and the sacrifice. Inside verse 30, 43 were hooks, TMI, a hand breadth wide, fastened all around, and the flesh of the sacrifices was on the tables. Just as the sacrifices and the offerings were a reminder of what Jesus did, so too were they a reminder of what they did. Namely, they sinned. And when they sinned, and they had to take an animal and sacrifice that animal, their sin was in their face. But so too was the sacrifice for their sin in their face as a reminder. Never forget it. Out of sight, out of mind, we say. Well, Ezekiel chapter 40 would say, no, not out of sight, out of mind. It's in sight, in mind, in mind. Can I rewind to the beginning of the chapter? Keep in, in your mind, fix your mind, in your mind, because in, in sight, in mind. So I'm going to show you, I want you to see this with your eyes. I want you to hear this with your ears. And I want you to fix this with your mind, indelibly etch this in your mind, and never forget it. Now, whenever we partake of communion, which we did last week, it's always about remember. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And the reason is, is because we forget. We forget what Jesus did for us in that He died for us, shed His blood for us for the remission of all of our sins. Remission, removing of the sins because of the blood of the new covenant. See, the blood of these sacrifices that they would make and offer did not remove the sin. There was no remission of sin. Kufad in the, in the Hebrew, covered. It was only a cover. It was, we're just going to cover it for now. But there's coming a time when there will be one sacrifice, and it will not cover, it will remove. Remove the sin. That's what this pointed to. So, Verse 44, we're almost done. Outside the inner gate were the chambers for the singers. Oh, we got the worship team. This would not have been complete without the worship team. I'm so glad you guys are there. Anyway, whoever they are. Uh, the singers in the inner court. There's worship there. By the way, as we go through these last eight chapters, well, seven of the eight chapters, uh, Lord willing, starting next week, <laughs> Um, we're going to get a glimpse of what it's going to be like during the millennium specific to the temple. But so too does it also give us a glimpse of what it's going to be like in heaven. I mean, this is going to be just glory, unspeakable, unimaginable, unfathomable, incomprehensible. Ah, can't wait. So, Verse 45, did we get to verse 45? Let's just say we did. <laughs> then he said to me, this chamber which faces south is for the priests, aha, who have charge of the temple. So we got the singers, the worship team. Now we've also got the priests. And Ezekiel would have really paid attention to this, because as you know, Ezekiel came from the priestly tribe. So there's the priests now who are 
in charge of and oversee the temple. The chamber, verse 46, which faces north, is for the priests who have charge of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok, from the sons of Levi, my son, Levi. Oh, actually, he wasn't born yet. Who came, who come near the Lord to minister to him. Did you catch that? Did you ever think of it like that? I think it's Acts 13. They ministered to the Lord. Well, I thought the Lord ministered to us. No, He does. Yeah, we, we, we pray, Lord, bless me. Well, have you ever thought about blessing the Lord? Bless you, Lord. I want to minister to you. How do we minister to the Lord in our service of the Lord, in our worship to the Lord? It ministers to Him. It blesses Him. So those who come near the Lord to minister to Him, and you can't minister to the Lord or bless the Lord without first coming near, drawing near to the Lord. When you draw near to the Lord, James says, He will in turn draw near to you. And verse 47, He measured the court 100 cubits long and 100 cubits wide, four square. The altar was in front of the temple. Verse 48, Then he brought me to the vestibule of the temple, and measured the doorposts of the vestibule, five cubits on this side, and five cubits on that side. And the width of the gateway was three cubits on this side, and three cubits on that side. It's kind of wide. The length, last verse 49, of the vestibule was 20 cubits, and the width 11 cubits. And by the steps which led up to it there were pillars by the doorposts, one on this side and another on that side, the end. That's quite, quite an abrupt end. It actually doesn't, as, as you know, there were no chapter breaks in the original manuscript. So this is a continuation now, as we'll see in verse 41. So this is what's in store. You have to come next week after I tell you this. So basically it's more of the same measurements, more of the same detail. No, because <laughs> what we're going to see next week, again, is very interesting. I know I started off this way. I might as well end this way. I think we do err greatly to our own peril. We dismiss chapters like this under the banner of all of the minutia of the detail. And why do I need to know that it was five cubits? Why do I need to know it was that long and that wide and that tall? Because, number one, you're going to be there to see it. And when you get there, you better not say anything like this. What's that? Because then somebody's going to come to you and say, where did you go to church? Well, I went to Calvary Chapel, Connie. What's this? Ha! No, I want you guys up there with your notebooks going, yeah, ha, I know all about it. I can tell you what the measurements are. Oh, by the way, a lot of windows too. And then you could take the people that, <laughs> this is going to sound mean, I don't want it to come off this way, the people that went to other churches that don't teach the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, that have no clue about Ezekiel chapter 40, and they're going to be surprise, surprise in the millennium when they look at the temple. And you could take them on a tour, say, come on, come with me, I'll show you around. <laughs> oh, you know about this? Oh, yeah. Because I went to, anyway, <laughs> is, that, is that bad? That's pride, yeah. But it's a healthy pride. It's a sanctified pride. I'm very humble about my pride. And as you know, I'm very proud of my humility as well. Uh, one last thing, and we'll close, and I appreciate your patience. And I also appreciate your grace with my weird humor. It's laughter is so medicinal, isn't it, though? Like the Proverbs say. It's, it's medicinal, it's therapeutic, it's healing. So let's just, if you wouldn't mind, just in your mind, that God-given imagination that we all have, can you just picture with me what it's going to be like as we rule and reign with Christ, and we're watching all of this play out. And we knew it in advance because of Ezekiel chapter 40 and the chapters that follow. 
And because the focus is on Israel, not us, they're the ones that are going to be doing all of this in the temple. But we're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years. Now don't let that go to your head, but how amazing is that? For a thousand years? I mean, yeah, we're excited about the rapture. We're excited about all of eternity, but we're going to have a thousand years ruling and reigning with Christ. And we're going to see, and for those of us who love Israel, and I know you do, this is going to be a fulfillment of the restoration of the Jewish people, God's people, for a thousand years. This temple's for them. This temple's for them. And we get to get a preview of coming attractions. I think many of them are going to be surprised. <laughs> They're going to go, what's this? Oh, it's for you. Wow. I didn't know about this. Well, you didn't read Ezekiel 40 then, did you? <laughs> Am I taking it too far? Probably. Capono, come up and save me from myself. Why don't you stand? We'll close in prayer and song. Thank you again for your grace. <laughs> Lord, thank you for this chapter. Yes, it's uh, very detailed and seemingly <laughs> insignificant, inconsequential. But you, O oh Lord, have deemed it necessary to rise to the level of being recorded in the pages of Holy Writ for us, all of these generations later, to be reading it, hearing it, and even taking it to heart. So thank you for that, Lord. We, we see you in this. We see the why of this. And it has this effect, and I hope this is what we take away with us. It has this effect of just drawing us closer to you, more intimate with you, because of who you are and how you are. That you would do this for your people. Who is like unto you, O Lord? We give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.